we are just so thankful for our fathers, and uh, just want to say that here this morning. We're going to be talking about fathers all morning, so you'll get a healthy dose of that. But again, on Father's Day, I just want to acknowledge on the front end that Father's Day, just like Mother's Day, is a day that has mixed emotions because we've got mixed experiences, right? And so uh, you may be sitting here thinking, man, I'm so proud of my dad. I love him. He's, he's, he's my superhero, you know, and um, you also may be sitting here and just saying, man, I, I wish I knew my dad. I wish I knew him more. I wish that things were different. And, um, you know, these days can be mixed, but what, what, I, what I don't want to do is for us to miss the opportunity to see by God's design of what he's intended for fathers to be, even though every single father on planet earth has actually missed the mark in some way. Right? There is not a father that's actually done it perfect. There's not a dad that's done it right completely. And, and some dads didn't even know what to do. Right? I remember talking to my dad, actually. Um, they had my, uh, my, my, my sister, Amity. She's the oldest. And um, they had her when he was getting his master's in architecture in college still. And um, he tells stories like, man, I did not know what in the world I was doing. He's like, your mother knew a little more than I did. But, I mean, my dad came into being a father and realizing, wow, I don't even know what I'm doing, you know. And so I just want to say that for all the men, it's like we, we you know, we have desires to, to be that father, to, to maybe be the father we never had or to be one like we had. But at the same time, we miss the mark, which is why it's so important to remember on Father's Day that Jesus came and died on the cross, and rose from the grave so that we could have access to the perfect Father. Because um, God is our Heavenly Father, and He's never done us wrong. Um, And I just want to acknowledge that even in times for any of us, when you feel pain, when you feel discouraged, to go to Him. Because He loves you. And just like in that prodigal son story, He's there (laughs) ready for you, running into his arms, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been or what you haven't done, that he's there and ready to embrace you and give you a hug. So uh, again, just want to speak into that place, uh, but also want to, want to look at the scriptures and look at, man, what does God really have to say about, about fathers? But you know, this morning as I was preparing this week, it's interesting, most weeks I Usually we'll spend eight to ten hours preparing a message for Sunday morning. And, um, and this week, as I was praying and getting ready, it was very clear that the Lord was saying to me, um, I don't want you to put together some outline this week. I just want you to share from your heart. So for all the linear people out there, this might take you on a little bit of a journey. Uh, <laughs> and if you're not like that, you're like, oh, this is going to be good. So um, I promise you this. <clears throat> Whatever I share this morning, it will be from the heart, and whatever I share this morning, my hope and desire is that it's helpful for you on your own journey, either as a dad or in relationship with men in your life. Amen? All right. Well, um, you, know, uh, you know the story of, of Moses. He was called to lead the people uh, out of Egypt, and eventually they got through the ten plagues. They then... Uh, found themselves crossing the Red Sea miraculously, and, and Moses was there, and, um, and he was leading the people, right? Uh, several million, uh, estimates between two and four million people crossed the Red Sea and were on the journey. Well, their desire was to get to the promised land, right? But we all know Moses and his generation never made it to the promised land. And so there they are in the wilderness, they're living, but what God said to them was, I, I didn't just pull you out of Egypt to abandon you, I am going to be with you even though we won't be in the final destination yet, right? So Moses is leading the people of God, but the presence of God is with them. And, um, and we know that they set up something called the Tent of Meeting, which was a place to where Moses would go in and he would step into this tent and it was like the presence of God, whether it's filled with smoke or there was fire or this cloud. It's kind of like if you see a storm cloud coming, you're like, oh, that's coming. It's like, oh, the presence of God is here, right? And so he would go in and he would actually converse. He would talk. He would pray to God. He would talk with them. He was, he, he was the person that was interacting with God. 
who then he then gave instructions and teachings and fathered the people, right? And so Moses, in many ways, was that father to the Israelites at that time leading them. Um, and so Moses is there, but there was this other guy named Joshua, right? And Joshua was not Moses, but he saw what Moses was doing, which was he was making time to get with the Heavenly Father. He was creating the space to converse with him. So what did Joshua do? If you read, Joshua actually says he would go up to the tent of meeting. He couldn't go in. It's not allowed in. He would get up close. Like, you know, it's kind of like when you want to listen in on a conversation you shouldn't be. Right? That, that's what Joshua was doing. He was like getting close to the entrance thinking, what's going on there? So Joshua, over and over, trying just to sneak in and listen to what's going on with God and Moses. Well, eventually Moses gets old as we all do, and eventually God spoke to him and said, Moses, guess what? Your time is ending, but I'm going to have you pass the mantle off to another man named Joshua. This man, he's watched you. He's watched your life. He's seen you live your life. He's seen you up close, actually. He's seen your ups and downs, and yet I know his heart, and his heart is good, and he wants to lead our people. And in fact, that's the man who's going to take these people into the promised land. So Joshua 1, chapter 1, is um, a, a, a great chapter, but I want to read an excerpt for you here on Father's Day because um, I think it's going to be meaningful for us to hear. And I just want to, on the front end, say the majority of this message, I'm speaking to fathers and future fathers, right? So if you're of the male race, then I'm speaking to you, okay? Um, and, and all that said, though, I don't need the females to tune me out. Because actually what you're going to hear today is going to give you hope and belief and that all men will not fail you. And that there are good men. And that God is raising up good men right now. And he's turning the hearts of wicked men to become good men. And so you do not need to lose hope in society or in family because you've had some negative experiences. You need to say, no, no, no. God's plan A is this. Just like God's plan A is the church, the church has not always done it right. The church has done it wrong at times. But the church, guess what, is a bunch of people. And by the way, that's us, which means we are all equally messed up too. God is perfect, not us. That's why Jesus is actually the leader of every single church on planet Earth. He's the bottom line. I'm just a guy that gets up here and talks sometimes. He's the king. He's our leader. And I'm so thankful because I will fail you and you will fail me. And the sooner we get on board with that and understand, oh, that's called family. That rhymes, I guess. But that's called family and that's the church. But when we fail, we then look at each other's eyes and we say, hey, you know what? You missed it here, man. But I love you enough to say it. Can we fix it? Yes. See, the church is not supposed to necessarily all be perfect. But we are supposed to be honest. And we are supposed to be humble. And we're supposed to go low and admit when we've done wrong. And then that's why the, that's why the Bible gives us this word repentance, which is probably one of the best words you could ever learn and implement into your life. It'll save your marriage. It'll save your family. It'll save your life at many turns. And it'll save the church. Because if the people of God are not a repentant people, we have nowhere to go. Right? I don't know where I got off in that, but we're talking about Joshua. Let's go. Joshua repented. I'm sure he did. All right, here we go. Joshua 1. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I mean, man, if you're like an athlete and you're about to take the field, that's the speech you want. You know what I'm saying? Be strong and courageous. The, the Lord your God's with you. Do not be dismayed. Do not be discouraged. He is with you. 
So let's go. That is who God is calling us to be, men. He's calling fathers to be strong and courageous, to not back down. Now, yes, in this context, was Joshua then going to be the leader, the general of the army that would go in and literally go to war with those who were there to inherit and take over the promised land? Yes. But I believe for us today, it is also speaking to the hearts to say, we were actually made for war. Did you know that? We were made for war, not necessarily just a war of fighting with axes and guns and swords. We were made to not just war in the flesh, we're actually more so made to war in the spirit, to come against the principalities of our age, to war in the things that are, that are oppressive, that are injustices, that are not right in our spirit. And they say, I will fight for that. Jesus gave us the perfect example of a warrior. He came to set the oppressed free. He came to make things right. He came to stand in the gap from the bullies called the Pharisees. They were the bullies of the day. Did you know that? He stood in the gap and said, whoever's going to throw the first stone, let me just say, you better be without sin. Everyone drops their stones. It's like, oh, right? I mean, there's so many gotcha moments throughout the gospel of Jesus, aren't there? Just like, hey, they try to trip him up, and it's just, no, he's just, he's witty, he's sharp, he's full of spirit, he, he is humble, he is meek. He's everything that every man should want to be is Jesus. <laughs> I mean, because what did Jesus say? He said, if you've seen me, you've seen who? The Father. So if we will just look at Jesus, study Jesus, do and think and act like Jesus, we're actually acting more like our Heavenly Father. That should be your life goal. There you go. That's your life's goal. I just gave it to you. To be more like Jesus. Because when you're more like Jesus, you're more like our Heavenly Father. Joshua's calling us, or God's calling us to be like Joshua, to be strong and courageous. But you know, I want to share something else with you. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, you know, if you're looking for a, a book of the Bible or a letter to a church in the Bible, I would argue that the Corinthians were probably the most similar to America. So just read Corinthians through the lens of America, and you'll kind of be blown away, which tells you a couple things. Number one, we're not the first group or country to experience things on planet earth there's actually been people have gone before us and paul gets to speak into it and to say this is right this is wrong this is good this is evil this is off and he's clear because he's giving instruction and teaching as a father back to a group of people in a city that were the people of god who were called the church he's giving them instruction and teaching and encouragement and correction because that's what a father does because a father wants his children to thrive, right? You want to know the legacy of a father? It is not going to his gravesite saying what a great man he was. The legacy of a father is going to his gravesite and hearing his children and his grandchildren and his friends say, I'm a better person because of him. That's the legacy I want. I don't really care about any awards. My awards are actually seeing the people that I love and invest in raise do way better than me. I mean, isn't that the desire? Shouldn't that be the desire of us is that their arrows go farther than yours? I mean, that's what you hang your hat on. Right? It's like, no, no, no. He actually is better than me. I'm literally looking at my children, my 10-year-old Ethan. He is, it is a gift of God and a little bit of training from my wife. But in all honesty, he is like probably the best pastor in our family. I mean, listen, Ethan comes and prays to you, you better watch out. Because you're not fooling anything. He's going right for the heart. And you're going to be like, what just happened? This guy's only 10, you know? I'm telling you, God is gifting that little boy to be a, one who cares for the hearts of others, who's compassionate, who's understanding. He's sensitive. He gets it. He just... I need him to lay hands on me to help me, you know? Like, 
He gets it. I'm so proud of him. He is, he's going to go way beyond me and way beyond his mother. That's what should bring us joy. That's what God calls us to as fathers. And just like in the exchange between Moses and Joshua, Moses was passing something off to Joshua that Moses couldn't accomplish, but Joshua would. Oh, what a joy. What a joy. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 and 5. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I want to pause there for a second. Our faith is not meant to be resting on the wisdom of men. You know what the last three or four months has done to all of us? It's exposed our faith. You may have thought you were really a disciple of Jesus, really following him. And then you take away church, you take away life group, you take away birthday parties, you take away your wedding, you take away your job, you take away everything that you actually busied your life with, right or wrong. You strip it down to the bare bones. It's just me, the TV, my refrigerator, here I am. Who am I? Am I right? I was a big deal until COVID-19. Take every athlete. I was a big deal until no one cared to watch me play anymore because we're not playing. People don't care to talk to me much anymore. Uh-oh. Right? What? Oh, man, I was, I was leading a life group. Everybody, everyone didn't want to get on the Zoom call because it's awkward. And I don't want to do the virtual thing. And I thought I need the people to, uh-oh. Right? I mean, just, hey, I'm a, I'm a great concert singer, but they just canceled all my concerts for the year. No one's going to be screaming your name while you're singing on the stage. Uh-oh. I'm a politician. I can't even do campaign rallies because no one can cheer my name. Uh-oh. What is that just done? It just boiled it down to, is this about you or him? And if life was about you, fathers, you got a rude awakening. I'm telling you right now, Paul saw it then and we see it today. This life if you are a follower of Christ, is to be about him and them, not you. It is about God and those that you have the privilege to serve and to lead and be responsible for and love. That is what makes a man. It's not everyone giving him the accolades. It's him going low and serving others. Years ago when Ashley and I went to, started going to Antioch Waco, uh, we were newlyweds, and um, we showed up there, and I kept hearing this phrase. I didn't, I'd never heard it before, and it was this. It was, we want to be a people that are nameless and faceless. I thought about that, nameless and faceless. What's that really mean? And I unpacked it over the years, and really what it meant was that we want to be a people that aren't about self-exaltation. It's not about my glory, it's about his. I just want him to get his. I don't want them to be on their journey to, be, uh, to experience the fullness of God, and I'll do whatever it's going to take to sacrifice and make a way for them. Because I don't care about my name. I don't care about it. I told someone the day, I said, this is not a shot at anyone in particular. I'm just telling you my heart. I need you to know. I said, you will never see a website titled Hardy Ministries. Do you know why? One, I don't want to keep up with that website. But secondly, secondly, I don't want to do that because what that will even do to me and actually, this may just be us and our own weakness. I do not want to do something that's going to self-promote a spirituality so that then all of a sudden then you get you get locked in on following me instead of following him. Do you understand how that, and I get it. Listen, I'm all about, I read different authors. I'm so blessed people have written books and articles. I'm great with that. That's not, that's not God's place for me, right? But I'm telling you because I want to stay on the narrow road and say this is about him and them. I want to be someone who says this, just like Paul said, in, second, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And I wonder, I wonder how many of us have put our faith and has been rested in the wisdom of men and women and others versus in the power of God. 
Because if it is not in the power of God, you will waver and you will scream and you will falter and you will look up and say, who am I and where is my place in this world? But if you had that clear before COVID-19, that's just been solidified, right? Someone said to me, they said, listen, for most people, if you were in a healthy family environment or had a healthy home environment before COVID-19, it just got healthier. But if you're in an unhealthy one, it just got worse. That's the sad reality. I'm urging you, men in this house, fathers and future fathers and anyone watching and streaming, I'm urging you to be those that are worthy of the calling, that are going to live a life that is not about people trusting your wisdom and your greatest hits and your thoughts and ideas, but everything you do, you're trying to steer them back to him because Jesus is the perfect leader. He is the perfect pastor. He's the perfect everything. And if you steer them back to him, they can hang on to him in the next COVID-19 because there'll be another one and another one after that. There will be an earthquake. There will be a famine. There will be a virus. There will be something civil unrest. There will be things that are going to happen. You know why? Because we live on planet Earth. It's existed since sin came into the world. And one day it will end. When Jesus returns for his bride, just his church, his people, that day hadn't come yet. But until that day, that's what's going to happen in our world. But we are now without hope. We run into the pain. We step up and stand in the gap on the crisis. We call forth the injustices. We put our arm around the oppressed and say, I'm here to help. We do what Jesus has already been doing. It's just our job, especially as fathers, to get in more line with him. You know, um, Paul later on, he, uh, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Really, this is what I want us to get today is 1 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 14. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, the imitators of me. You got a lot of guides. Another word for guide is tutors. Could be teachers. I don't think our society right now is lacking guides. You could literally Google search any topic, and there are so many books and articles and songs and podcasts and Bob from his basement on YouTube sharing their ideas on that topic. It is nauseating. It is so much information. It's just overboard. So then it's like, well, gosh, there's so much out there. I don't even know how to process it. I don't even know what I think. I've, you know, it's like you thought there's only two sides of an argument. No, there's 12. So come on, I can't even keep up. It can be exhausting, can it? And so as long as we are led just by guides and tutors, you can be led all sorts of different ways. Paul is speaking into a people in the city of Corinth 2,000 years ago that was a, a, a huge center for philosophy and for arguments and for great orators. He was surrounded by people that were great communicators and would be popular here and could sway people on this, do this. And he was trying to tell them, hey, guys, there's a center, there, there's a plumb line I need you to hang on to. It's Jesus Christ, him crucified, me being resurrected, my life starting over with him. That's our plumb line. Everyone else, that's great. I'm thankful to hear those thoughts, those encouragements. He's your plumb line. I'm not your plumb line. Jesus Christ, your plumb line. I'm here to exhort you and encourage you to make Jesus your plumb line. That's, by the way, that's why we do preaching. In case you're ever wondering, what's preaching about? It's not about me. It's about me yelling at you, encouraging you, smiling at you, laughing, doing whatever it's going to take to help you get Jesus to be your plumb line. Not me, not your life group, not any other book, not any other author or speaker, but that he would, because everyone else will come and go in your life. Not him. Everybody 
can have a relationship with him forever. He's calling us to make him this plumb line again. We need fathers, guys. I don't have to tell you that. We know that. Here on Father's Day, I just want to acknowledge we have some amazing fathers in this church family. And I want to say thank you for being the men of God. Yeah. We have amazing fathers here. Some don't even know it, right? Those are usually the best ones. They're like, wait, what? And he's like, dude, look at the fruit of your life. It's just ridiculous. We also have fathers in training. You know, um, when you have your first child, um, you don't know what you're doing. You just don't. You think you do. You know, you're, you and your wife are pregnant or whatever, and, you're, and your parents are trying to give you advice, and you blow it off because you're not idealistic. You're a little rebellious still. You're like, Mom, Dad, that's cool. We're going to do our own thing. We've read some books, you know. It's just, you know, how frustrating for our parents. It's like, wow, you're going to give me that? But we've all done it. You know, you know what I'm saying. Well, I have a friend that did potty training like this. And it's just, oh, wow, okay, great. So, um, you know, but when you start as a parent, you don't know what you're doing. All you know is that God's giving you these precious little human beings, and you're, like, excited and freaking out at the same time. Because can I just tell you, deep down in the heart of every parent, I'm convinced, they just want to do a good job. But do you want to know what derails them from doing a good job? One is the lies of the enemy, the devil. Two is past experiences that lead them to believe that they will fail already from the start. And then the words of others that have already thrown them in the tank and said, you'll never be a good dad. We don't understand, I think, the power and the weight that words have. Um, They really do have a lot of weight. They are curses over people. You want to curse a new daddy? Just say that you're going to do a terrible job. You're cursing him. You're literally speaking. You know, the Bible says that we have the power of life and death in the tongue. You actually have the ability to curse. You want to you, you belittle men? You, belittling is actually another word for cursing. You, you want to mock men? Right? We know that story in the Bible. Little boys mocked the old man. Bear came and ate them. I mean, I think if that happened in society more, it would probably be less mocking. <laughs> that, kid, that kid's gone. He just got eaten. There'd be a lot less mocking, don't you think? Um. Sarcasm? Yeah, what if you got eaten for that? Maybe a lion. Maybe not the bear. Listen, all joking aside, I'm being so serious. We have a problem in our country, which is we think that belittling and cutting men is fun or okay or acceptable. The media is not my informant. The scripture is. The scripture says, including the Ten Commandments, Honor your father and your mother. Honor means you respect them. You submit. You respect. You, 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 you believe the best about them. And when they make a mistake, you don't call it out for the world to see. Instead, you get behind them and say, Dad, how can I help? Fathers want to do well. But when you pile on shame, and when you belittle, and when we curse, and when we undermine, oh, it just it cuts your legs out from underneath you. And it is so hard to recover. But what if we said, no, 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 no. Our job as a people is to encourage fathers. I'm not saying let them get away with things. I'm not saying that. But when a man messes up, he's got to have another man get in his life and say, hey, man, you messed that up real bad, didn't you? Yeah. I need you to humble yourself and put my arm around you. Now, let's do this the right way. We've got to be okay with people failing because we all do. But for some reason, with authorities in our lives, we hold them to some impossible, unrealistic standard that when they fail, now all of a sudden, now I'm no longer going to respect them. If we apply that principle to everyday life, no one will respect you ever either. Because we all fail. We all make mistakes. But the goal in the church is when we do mess up, we humble ourselves, we repent, we make it right, and we say, okay, let's try this again. Fathers want to do well. I wholeheartedly believe that. You know, I want to read to us, um, I told you it was going to go around a few places this morning, all right? So 
Um, here we go. I lost my place. We're going to find it, though. So um, there's this book. It's called Raising a Modern Day Knight. I'm about to read just an excerpt for you. And um, it's a really great book. So if you are a father or a future father or a mother, and you are responsible for boys, young men, Raising a Modern Day Knight, this is an amazing book that will put so much courage and firepower in you to raise your sons differently than generations past, maybe. I just want to read an excerpt for you about the power of fathers. Paul's saying, you have many guys, not many fathers. We need fathers, and we need a process for young men to step into manhood so that they can then be fathers that will go further than we went. Amen? Um, he says this, uh, there's a second reason why the medieval knight speaks to the modern, to the modern boy's journey to manhood. Just as his chivalry embodied a well-defined set of ideals, his life also outlined a well-defined process. The boy who pursued knighthood followed a clearly marked path. At age seven or eight, he became a page. He was removed from his mother's care and went to live in a castle, usually with an overlord or a relative. Here the page learned about armor and weapons and falconry, the rudiments of knighthood, he also performed household tasks for the queen of the castle. I bet mom's like that. At the age of 14, the page became a squire. He attached himself to a knight and traveled everywhere in his company, serving him in the most menial of tasks. He carried the knight's lance, woke him in the morning, and even helped him dress. The squire also competed in tournaments and perfected the skills he had learned as a page. Such rigorous discipline prepared him for the final stage of his journey. When he turned 21, he was eligible for knighthood, an elaborate initiation which included a night-long vigil, a ceremonial bath, and a dubbing marked the completion of the process. He was now a knight. He took his place in the order of knighthood and pledged himself to uphold the code of honor. From page to squire to knight, a young man could envision the process count the cost, and pursue his dream. Sadly, for a boy today, there is no equivalent path in the journey to manhood. There are no landmarks or milestones to guide a boy's journey and no ceremonies to tell him when manhood begins. With all the discussions today on the subject of manhood, there remains a great void. Knights didn't get it all right, but what you see is the process. There was a clear, well-defined process for young men to mature into manhood so that they were ready to take on the world. I've told my boys several times, I said, my desire for you is by the time you reach the age of 18, you're ready. You're ready to depart these shores and you're ready to take it on. You want to go be a missionary? Great. You want to go into college? You want to go be a politician? You want to go to the military? You want to serve in some way? I don't really care. All I do is I want you to pray, seek God, and you follow how God is leading you and directing you, period, and I will get behind you 110%. But at 18 years old, you're going to be ready. You're a man at 18. That's what I'm telling my boys. I don't know if society does that or not. I don't think it does. I'm not looking for my boys to continue to be adolescents when they're 29. They are men, and they are ready physiologically. They are ready mentally. The missing piece is the preparedness that's needed from a father. And if you don't have a father, then it's finding the next close thing, an adult man who can step in and engage with your children and to be part of that. I acknowledge the fatherlessness that exists in our country, and I wish it was not so. Therefore, that is a place for the church to step up and stand in the gap, which we need to do a better job of. And saying so when we look and we see single moms, when we look and we see kids that maybe their dad is not so present around, how can we engage and love them? do not have to be a certain age to do that, right? You can actually be a college student and be a man and take a young man and disciple him in the ways of godliness, even though you're not a father yet, right? This is why the church needs to be a family. They would look after own and say, hey, here's missing pieces, but I'm going to help you with that. Do you see? It's a holistic approach that we have to take on. If we're going to be a family, then we look up and we say, who are the family members that are hurting and need help here? And let's go help them. And then when they get help, then guess what? Now we're going to tell them you've got to go help somebody else now. Because it doesn't just stop with you. We're not just on the receiving end. 
We receive and then we give. We receive and then we give, right? That's how we're called to be. And when a man raises his sons in that way, he's raised them to say, you are going to be a knight, which means now you are going to go off and tackle your adventures. You're going to take on the world, and I'll be behind you. I want to end with just a couple of stories real quick. Um, you know, <laughs> this, this last Friday, a couple days ago, my wife had a really great idea. Actually, it was a great idea, was to go surprise our kids by renting a boat and going to Lake Conroe. Now, I've not been on a boat in more than a decade. Um, so, you know, it's been a while. My kids have never been on a boat. Do you believe that? I got five of them. We just missed the boat thing, I guess, the last decade. <laughs> my kids have never been on a boat. Um, my wife and I have not driven boats for quite a long time. We rented a boat, and we want to go tubing, do the water ski things. We went on Friday, went down there. It was great. We got our boat, got out there. And uh, it was fun, and we were tubing and stuff, and, and then it got around to dad's turn to ski, and mom skied, right? And we pulled her in, and then dad skied. Well, about halfway into our trip, though, our boat started kind of doing some funny things. Um, so instead of being able to turn left and right, you can only turn right. So straight and right were only options. So, you know, you figured it out. You know, okay, we can't go left, so let's just make sure we're cautious about that. And then it would do some funky stuff to where all of a sudden you couldn't get it back straight. And just kind of go in circles. I, I'm, not, I'm not kidding you. You have to kind of shut the boat down and then kind of do it. I had to go back and literally push the propeller thing a few times to kind of get it straightened up. And we was, we're like, okay, but maybe it's just something going on. It's, again, it's been a while. I was like, maybe I'm doing something wrong. We're kind of messing with the trim and everything anyways. So I finally got there to water ski. And we see that there's kind of rain clouds off the distance forming. So Ash was like, hey, let's go and get you in there. So I got in. And it's been a while, but I was excited to water ski. So she hits it. And I started water skiing. But... The waters all of a sudden get very choppy. So, you know, if you, if you ever water skied, let me just say, you need smooth water. Not this. Okay, so I'm, but I'm like hanging, I'm like, I do not remember it being this difficult. Yes, I'm 37 and not as flexible. But still, I'm just like, wow. I'm just like holding on for dear life, okay? Well, eventually, the waters are so choppy, my ski when you're water skiing, that ski hits a wave, it just, it just turns you. So I literally just went, boom. I mean, face plant, tomball, skis off, okay? I get up out of the water, I'm fine, but I look, and the boat's kind of still going. You know, and when you're pulling someone, you should slow down and come back and get them. So Ashley's got all five kids with life vests, praise God, on, and she can't get the boat to come back. So now they're about, I'm guessing, about 300 yards away. She gets the boat to turn, but now she's going in circles. It's literally doing this, 300 yards away, and she's just, I can see the distance. I'm like, this is not going well. But I've got my ski up. I you should do, just have it up, try to make sure. Now I'm in the middle of this lake. I'm, we're in the middle of Lake Conroe, like literally in the middle. As she's going in circles, I look, this storm starts coming pretty quick. And in about 60 seconds, the rain just starts dumping like very hard. Now when it's raining on the lake, and it's very dark, it's hard to see people. With waves doing this, I'm in the middle of the lake with my wife with 10, 8, 6, 4, two-year-olds and life jackets on the boat that only goes in circles. <laughs> After about seven to eight minutes, it, was, it felt a lot longer. She finally was able to get the boat kind of turned a little bit where she can kind of get close to me after many maneuvers. And Ethan had to throw me a rope and I like barely got it and they like, dragged me, and I got in the boat, and it was wild. It then took us about one hour to get from that point, which is only like a mile away, literally from the dock, an hour back with me trying to, I mean, just every, every boat would go past. They're like, this guy's about to hit us. I'm like, I'm sorry. I just turned it off. Just, it's crazy. Okay. Why did I share this story with you? One, I'm glad I'm alive. Okay. Because you're in the middle of the lake. Other boats, choppy waters, dark. They can't see you. By the grace of God, another boat was not coming. If it was, I could have been killed very easily. Um, but here's, here's, here's the deal. My kids were, of course, crying. I mean, just, you can understand the amount of panic that was happening on that boat that I was removed from. Um, but I, you know, it was traumatizing for my kids. And I, oh, no, we'll do a boat again. It's like, we'll do a boat again just one day. Just work it through. Well, do prayer ministry or something. Work it through. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we're... we're I'm, I'm sitting out there, and I remember one of the kids were just like, they said to me, they said, 
Daddy, we thought, we thought you were going to die. Like we thought you were, you were gone. I mean, it was scary. You know, I thought about that and just thought, you know, um, what, what would it look like if we lived in a world without dads? Just imagine that just for a moment. I, and I know for some of us, your world was that being brought up. But w- what if in all society, all the churches, there's, there's no dads? The amount of misses. <laughs> the, I mean, there's pain now, just 10x that. But then I also want you to realize a world like with dads. Like, what if, what if every dad was actually a, a dad? Can you imagine? Can you imagine what would be happening different in our society? I oftentimes say that I would argue that the majority of our society's problems are attributed back to the father. Because the father actually has so much power and authority. We don't realize that when you hold a little baby, but you actually have way more power in your words and actions than the mom does. That's not to discredit women at all. Very powerful in your own right. I'm married to one. What I'm saying, though, is that for some reason, God has designed it to where if everything works according to plan, that that father, when he speaks truth and life and blessing, when he covers rightly, that those children can thrive. But when he is absent, when he is abusive, when he is not present, when he neglects his responsibility, it is so painful. And I wish it was not the case in our world. I wish everybody had a great experience with their dad. I just know that's not true. Which is why I believe that Jesus came to provide a way for us to have a relationship with the Heavenly Father who will love you, who will comfort you. And I know it's not the same, but that is the Father that we will spend eternity with, is our Heavenly Father. But I want to end with this story. Um, Last night I was talking to my sons and... uh, I, I was talking to him for a while and about some things, and I said, boys, do you remember what you got for your fifth birthday? And um, they said, yeah. And they said, you gave us a slingshot. And I said, yeah, we, each of your fifth birthdays, we gave you a sling, and we gave you five smooth stones. Wrote words on those stones, like honor and courage and faith. Because we wanted to mark you on your fifth birthday to say, this is when it begins. The journey for you becoming a man one day, a godly, righteous man that will slay the giants in your day. This is when it starts. I shared that with him last night, and, and then I was remembering, because, um, you know, for fathers, it's not just about us saying the right thing. More so, we've got to lead. You've got to give examples to your children. Monkey see, monkey do. That's just the way it is in my house. Um, and so I was remembering, it was about a year ago, we were out at Research Park, because we've been out there, and we go there to feed the ducks. Sometimes they're there, sometimes they're not. I'm not sure what's happening to the ducks, but um, when they're there, it's really great for our family. So we go out there, and we, there's a little part where there's kind of a little, uh, a little mini waterfall thing out there and with some rocks. We let our kids kind of go walk across it and enjoy it. Well, we were playing there, and um, I was up kind of walking up on the little, uh, little trail area, and... I uh, looked down, and in the area where my kids were playing, I saw a very large water moccasin slither out of the grass into the water, like on the edge of the water, and it stayed there. And I could tell it was looking at my kids. So um, I told them to get out of the water, so they got out quickly. The snake was right there, and this is the most random thing, but my boys that day wanted to bring a slingshot. No lie. And so we had it in the stroller. So I thought to myself, I'm going to kill this snake. So I get the slingshot. I tell the children to stare at here. They're all kind of scared. It's a big water moccasin. I go get a stone, and I'm sitting up on this bridge. I don't know how far away I am. But um, I'm up on this bridge, and I just pull this thing back, and everyone's watching me. And I'm like, the odds of me actually hitting this thing are very slim. (laughs) You know? But let me just say, let me just say, the Spirit of God is real. Okay? So I pull the slingshot back, and I line that sucker up, and I release it. And it hits that snake right in the head, dead on impact. Now, why do I say that to you? (laughs) 
If I did it 100 times, I'd probably miss 99. <laughs> but I got it. Because I'm trying to show my boys what it's like to slay the evils in our world. I can talk to them about a slingshot, and that's powerful. And they're going to remember that moment. If you ask my boys right now, hey, did your dad ever kill a snake with a slingshot? They'd be able to tell you everything about that moment. <laughs> Why? Because they got to see me model it. You can't just talk about being a giant killer. You actually have to do it. And when you do it, dads, your children, that will mark them. I told my boys last night, I said, boys, the reason why I'm training you as my children, the reason why I'm hard on you at times, the reason why I give you correction, the reason why I push you, because I need you to be able to be the David that will stand before Goliath and say, you will not mock my God and you will not hurt my people. But until you learn that, you will be scared and run for the hills. I want you to not run for the hills. But in order to make that a reality, in order for you to be one of the 300 that Gideon actually fought with and not the 31,700 that actually fled, because I need you to know that you are a warrior, you are ready, you've seen daddy do it, and you have no fear. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. And I am telling you, in this day and age, more than ever in our country, it seems, fear is taking over, not just in certain areas, but I'm telling you, you cannot let it take over in your home. You cannot let it take over in your heart. As soon as you give way to fear, you are done for. So God is calling us again as men, as future fathers. So I want us to stand. I want to invite the band up as we close. Actually, sorry, everyone stay seated except for men. Sorry. <laughs> if you're a male, I'm not just saying fathers. I mean all men. I want all men to stand up. Young boys, too. If you're a young man, stand up. No matter age, if you can hear my voice. If you're watching on the stream, I want you to stand up. If you're a kid, young man. Um, just as we end, we're about to worship you just a moment, but I want to say a couple of things to us. Um, men, you have a great amount of authority and responsibility in your life. If you don't know that, you need to understand that it's real. You have the ability to mark people for better or for worse. And that your words and your actions are, they, they literally go to the heart. So what I want to speak over you is a blessing that no matter where you've lived your life, if you feel like you have missed the mark, that what I want you to hear me say is that's why God gave us the opportunity to repent and change and to start over. If you feel like you've missed it with your kids so far, you could hit the reset button with Jesus. Say, Jesus, help me now. I can't go back, but I can start now. And if you are not married yet or if you don't have kids yet and you're saying, you know what, one day I want to be, you need to look to the older men in your life, those that are living in godliness and righteousness. Learn from them. Don't inherit all the mistakes and the failures. Inherit the good. But when older men in your life fail you, do not discredit those men just get behind them and say, how can I help you? Because what men need, they need that respect. They need that affirmation, but we're going to mess up. All the women in the room, I can't urge you enough. Be supporters of men. Do not pile on the shame they've already felt for feeling like a failure in their role. The desire is to do better. But sometimes we need help all the time. And we need encouragement to do that. Just as we close, I just want to pray over us if you just receive it. Lord Jesus, I pray that these men in this room and every man watching, every young boy watching, that they would know that they are made for marking others with their actions and words. That they would know that they are made to be like the Davids that not only have a sweet, deep relationship with the Father, but also will stand in the gap between the enemy and those he's trying to protect. I pray that men in this room would know that they are called to be shepherds, to care for their flock. When one runs away, to go and get it and bring it back to the fold. To encourage, to protect, to defend. I pray that you would begin to turn the hearts of men inside the church and outside. 
and that men of God of every color, of every race, of every nationality, of every stage, where they are, that they would begin to be turning their hearts back to you in humility and honor. They would begin looking at Jesus and saying, Jesus, you are the best ever. How can I model my life after you? That they would look to you, Heavenly Father, in times of need and to say, God, help me. That they would be open and honest with their weak points and be willing to expose those things so they can get help. God, let us turn. Let us turn the generation, Lord. I pray, Lord, that, that, that it would not continue to be in, in decline. Instead of fatherless being a term, I pray it be eradicated from our society, maybe decades from now, but maybe just be gone. Maybe something people don't even know what it was. Because what was so real was that men were committed to their families, committed to their wives, committed to leading and sacrificing and serving and protecting and blessing and encouraging and helping and teaching and modeling and training and building up and fighting for. That is what we are called to be and to bless, to speak blessing over those you've given us and our covering and responsibility. So God, we, uh, we honestly ask and humbly ask you would change us. Spirit of God, move in ways that our words can't. Move amongst us so that we, the church, the people of God, could lead out in a way that it looks right for family. How do we lead out amongst our peers who don't know Jesus to demonstrate to them this is what it looks like to be a man, to be a father. And help us in our weakness, Lord, because we all have them. Help us in our blind spots, Lord. Reveal them so we can get better, become more like you. We trust you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Everyone can stand as we worship. Just in moments like this, we have a chance just to allow the Spirit of God to minister to our hearts. Here on Father's Day, again, I don't know your past. He does. I don't know if it's been a good one or a bad one. But what I know is that the Heavenly Father is here with open arms to minister to your heart. So if you just be so bold, just as we worship, just between you and God, just allow him to minister. Let him in. Let him into the places of pain if you need to. And if there's not a lot of pain there, then celebrate him. Just honor him. Be reminded of, wow, what an amazing opportunity he's given you to know him, the perfect Father. We thank you, Lord. Let's worship together.